Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today. Information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. Uh, What we'll do is a a quick review of um, an article that uh, came out this month in Slippery Rock Gazette. Uh, As I said, this is, is really more of a conversation than anything else. I'd much rather uh, talk with you guys than, than to, um, you know, and listen to you guys talk with each other than for me to do all the talking here. You'll get bored pretty quick if that goes on. Uh, and then we've got some, so please interrupt as we go. And then we've got some, um, some questions uh, that folks have asked about this topic kind of toward the end. If we've got time, we'll cover some of those as well. For those of you that I haven't met, just a quick bio. Um, I've got over 40 years experience in manufacturing, in business and in coaching. I've worked literally with hundreds of companies. I've owned my own brick and mortar business. Uh, so I understand what it's like to manage cash flow and still make payroll and you know buy materials and that sort of thing, service customers. And I know how it can sometimes be pretty lonely as an owner. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough, tough challenge a lot of times. I've coached a number of fab shop owners over the last 20 years and even ran a counter shop, countertop shop for a few years. So I've, uh, I've lived this fab shop life, just like you folks are. Um, the article that we're going to cover is How Do I Control the Chaos? came out first of this month in Slippery Rock. If you need a copy of it, if you need a copy of it, hit our website, fabricatorscoach.com, select the blog selection on the menu, and you can get a copy there and, and, and read it. Uh, there's also on the slipperyrockgazette.net in their current issue. It'll be there. This is the uh, third article in the 12-part series for this year. Um, late last year, I got to thinking about my time in the, in the industry during the holidays and how crazy that was and how things just seemed to get so much more intense during the holidays. Um, and how it, you know, what can we do now to start getting ready for holiday season 2022? So I thought I'd put this, put together this series of of 12 articles to kind of help you spend more time working on your business and maybe a little less time working in your business. And we'll talk some more about that. The idea is that the more that you improve your business, the more you work on your business, the closer you get to having a business that not only makes you money, but also gives you time to enjoy it. And uh, in the article, I pulled out a great uh, Yogi Berra quote. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. And my version of that is if you don't know where you're going, then yeah, maybe you're already there. And the reason that's important is one of the, the key things in the article, I talk about three main things to to start getting control of your business and starting to control the chaos so you're not going crazy with this, with this thing is to make a decision. Um, and, and I think the decision is that at some point you're in enough pain, you decide, okay, enough's enough. From now on, things will be different. And I think that's the key is to make that decision that you're going to be in control. You're going to run your business and you're not going to let it run you. And it just, to me, it's just like making a decision like, okay, I'm going to go run a a 5K the end of next month. Not that I would or could, but you might make that decision. Or maybe you're going to make a decision to go on vacation, you know, sometime this year. And so you you start working on those specifics, but it's it's a conscious decision that you've made. And I think controlling your business is the same type of decision. Yeah, it's more consequential, but it's, uh, it's definitely that, that type of thing. You know, folks sometimes ask, what do you mean by working in the business versus working on the business? And the answer to that is, if you're spending 
pretty much all your time selling or templating or doing the books, running marketing, installing, you know, those types of things, then you're working in your business. You're essentially working as an employee. That means you're not acting like an owner. Yeah, you're making a lot of decisions and you're probably getting tons of questions all the time. But because you've got a primary role that requires you to do those things and you do spend almost all your time doing them, that means you're not acting like an owner. You're not working on making your business better. You're just, you're just working in the business. To work on the business, you would do things like go talk to your templaters, find out how often they leave a site after templating and still don't have all the decisions that are needed have been made, or they don't have all the data that they need. They don't have the sink. They don't have the, the cooktop information. They don't have faucet information. Customer or homeowner maybe hasn't made some final decisions. And then you start figuring out, you know, what those issues are, how often they happen. And you start putting together a plan for how to prevent that from happening. How can you get that information earlier? How can you set those expectations earlier? That's working on your business. That's improving how you do what you do. That's the key to, to starting to get a, a handle on the chaos. That's part of that decision that you've got to make. Uh, you may do something like you may you have may have a salesperson that isn't really doing a great job of, of selling what you're good at. All they do is lower the price to get the job. And that's all they do. Yet you have other salespeople who do a really good job of, of selling based on value and they're not cutting price all the time. And so you may take some time and coach that salesperson and work with them, do some role play with them, go on some sales calls with them, whatever it is, to help them improve how they do what they do. That's working on the business. When you take the time to do these things, you're improving how your business operates. One of the key is, as you do this, is make sure that you document, document, document. If you don't write it down, it never happened, right? So as you and make these changes, you're working on the business, you're improving the business, you're going to be changing processes and procedures, changing how people do things. Make sure you document what those changes look like so that when you go back and do your frequent follow-ups in the weeks and months afterward, you've got something to look at, something to refer back to that you both understand what it means to say, okay, are we still doing this or not? That keeps you from all of a sudden waking up one day and say, wait a minute, I thought we fixed that three months ago and now you're right back where you started. So that documentation and follow-up is key. So if you're gonna want your business to perform differently, you gotta get out of your comfort zone. And that's what this is all about. Make that decision, make that commitment, um, decide that enough is enough. And from now on, things will be different. Any, any comments or questions about that? Pretty basic and fundamental, but you'd be surprised how many folks are run into just haven't made this decision yet. So that's why I bring it up. All right, next, take care of the basics. This is where uh, Yogi Berra comes in, setting business goals. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. Um, or if you don't know where you're going, maybe you're already there. How many of you have goals in your business? Anybody? We all do. Thank you, sir. We all do. Like we have sales goals, installation goals. Uh, production goals. All right. I heard somebody make the statement that we all have goals. The reason I'm bringing this up is I run into lots of companies that still don't have goals. They haven't decided, okay, our target for sales this year is X. And if you're on the call and that's where you are, I'd really encourage you to make those goals. Goals need to be specific. It needs to be a sales goal. I think Dick mentioned production goals, uh, those types of things. You need to measure them. You know, how, many, how do you know that you got there or not? What metric are you going to look at? What number are you going to track? 
And then you got to have a deadline on that. When are you going to do it? You know, there's there's goals for this year. Uh, to mention, you know, sales goals. So I'm sure that you know, knowing her that, and with with her having multiple locations, I'm sure they've got sales goals for each location. I'm sure that they know that by the end of the year they want to be at a certain level, and then that would imply that at the end of each month there's a specific metric they're going to gauge their progress against to see how well they're doing with that. So that's for sales and then Kartik with production goals. What type of production goals do you have? I have a, a basic one that I do, which is not a very good one, but it is QC completes. You know, how many jobs could be a, a big job or a small job? I, how many jobs do I get through the system? Um, I think I can better that system from throughput or other, other ideas, but simple enough for the guys to understand. So I just say, how many QC completes are we done? And we measure that daily and we, and we share it every day. Okay. So you're tracking those every day. So you know each day how you're doing against that goal. That's great. Anybody else got any other examples of goals they want to share with us? Okay. Those are good examples. How many of you have got goals going out three to five years? Anybody got any examples of that they're willing to share with us? Let me ask this question. Does anybody have goals that go out three to five years for your business? It's, it's The market is so unpredictable. It's like crazy. We can get through a year right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a tough time to be running a business. No question about that. If you guys unmuted, have you guys got something that you wanted to add? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we were kind of in the same boat there where it's, you feel like everything's kind of up in the air a little bit in making those long-term goals. Um, and that is something that we're, uh, I mean, that's part of us being here today is we know that we need to get to those three, five-year goals so that we've got something to work towards, something to move towards the metric to follow. Okay. Fair point. I understand what that's like. I mean, I, I've got the same thing in my business is, you know, because as you guys have those challenges, I have the same challenges because you're my customer, so to speak. Um, not that I'm working with any of you right now, but I mean, it's this industry is my customer. Um, so I think it goes back to this item one, which is decide. Uh, having goals doesn't mean that you say, okay, here's something that I feel like I can achieve. That's okay. But you still need something to shoot for long term. Uh, part of what we're going to talk about a little bit uh, in a few minutes is is this whole issue of, of internal capacity and, and sales capacity. We'll get into that in just a minute. But if you don't set goals for in the future, then you run the risk of not paying a lot of attention even to your, your goals for 2022, your, your daily and monthly goals. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much more volatility in this market. And I've got clients in other industries. You guys aren't alone. I work with a with a cabinet shop some last year and I'd call them up and say, okay, so what's, what's the challenge this week? Is it COVID and people are out or is it supply chain? You know, what is it? Um, you know, or, or is it customer issues or is it transportation? Cause they're shipping, you know, long distances for those, those uh, cabinets. They weren't doing just local stuff. Um, so, so certainly there's a lot more variables out there, but if you don't have those directions that you're shooting for, you know, you set a goal, it may be something you have no idea how to achieve doesn't mean it's not a good goal. You don't have to know what those steps are going to be. Uh, if you know what the steps are and you know you're going to achieve it, it's really more of a go do it. It's almost a task in a way. You know, goals are those things that it's good to have things that will stretch you a little bit, that will force you to figure out new things. And 
not, to, not that you need any new things to figure out with COVID and supply chain and you know contractors who've, who can't meet schedules because they're dealing with the same thing. Certainly, you've got plenty of challenges. But I would challenge you still to be looking out three to five years uh, because that's, that's, that's key to the longevity of your business. And I'm going to go even beyond that and ask how many of you as owners have an exit strategy? Do we have anybody here who has an exit strategy as an owner? <laughs> Mr. Young, you had uh, mentioned this one thing. I said that I love my business so much that I want to <laughs> die doing it. And he's like, well, then you don't need my help there. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly something you can do on your own. I agree. Yep. So have you, uh, did you guys think any about that? Because we had talked a little, few months ago about that. Have you guys thought about exit strategy at all? You know, until like I absolutely cannot, I would like to be continuing to do what I'm doing because I love it so much. Well, and that's great. So in your case, the three to five year goals get to be really important. You know, so you're looking down the road. Um, you know, you'll set a goal. You'll have a target for, say, 2025. Um, yeah, there's lots of volatility. We're going to see a recession sometime in the next couple of years. I think everybody pretty well agrees with that. But as we get a little bit further into this this session today, we'll talk some about how to deal with some of those uncertainties. Um, but if you're an owner and, you know, your exit strategy may be to transfer the business to your children, you know, to your heirs. Um, that's important too, because when you transfer a business to them, you want to make sure this business is teed up to be successful. And I think that's key. That means you go in and you start, you know, building processes, building procedures, uh, having the right people in the right seat on the bus and, and get everybody trained really well so that as you, you know, those are things that you would do to reduce the chaos anyway. Uh, that gets into this next title, this topic, which is management. Um, but if you've got a, if your exit strategy is to, uh, I think Deepa said, a legacy business, that would imply maybe, um, you know, transferring this to your children at some point, then, then having a business that is really, well-structured, well-organized, almost runs itself, it makes it easy for them to be successful. And if your exit strategy involves selling the business at some point, then certainly a business that is well-structured, almost runs itself, is going, to bring a, is going to be making good money, and it's going to bring a higher multiple when you go to sell it. So I think the, the key for goals is we know that change is tough. Dealing with this chaos is tough. Improving things so we can deal with the chaos is tough. And you need a compelling why. And it's not just survival. Survival to me is not a compelling enough why. I think you need something positive, something to achieve, something to shoot for. And that's one of the reasons that goals are so important. And then management is the next thing we've already talked, we've started talking about a little bit. And that's, you know, that's, that's how you run your business and how you structure it. Um, there's, there's a management cadence that, you know, and with Dick, uh, having multiple locations, I'm sure you guys have got a lot of this. The rest of you who are maybe a, a single location shop, you may or may not have much of this, but this management cadence is really key. What are the things that you do every day? What time of day do you do them? Who's involved in that activity? It's not just a meeting necessarily. You may be walking out of the shop floor and checking status on something specific. What are the things that you do every month or every week? What time of week? What day of the week? Uh, what are the things that you do each month? How do you review the prior month's performance? How do you review the prior day's performance? That's all part of your management technique. 
that's that's really critical. Uh, there's an article I wrote, Manage to Get Your Life Back. You can hit our website and, and look that up. It's got some good specific items in there that if you don't have a good management cadence, this will help get you started with that. I think that's an, it's important to have that cadence because otherwise what you're doing is you're just reacting to the, the firefight of the day. Uh, and that's where you don't want to be. If you're at reacting to the firefight of the day, you're in a chaotic environment, more so today than maybe three years ago, but you're really in a chaotic environment if you're just reacting all the time. You've got to get control and you've got to make a decision up front, you're going to do it. And management cadence is a real key part of that. Anybody in here not have a good management cadence, things that they do every day, things that they do every week, every month? Uh, we meet with our sales team. Um, we have a like an hour long session once a week, and then like we have a daily huddle for fifteen minutes. Okay, super. What do you what do you in your huddle for fifteen minutes? Um, because it's just fifteen minutes, which I think is great. That would imply that you're just communicating status of critical issues. Is that correct? Well, basically, we uh, we report like how many quotes they gave yesterday, how many sales did they make, how many phone calls did they make, you know, and then we just report that so they know that they're being and if there's any issues that came up, we will discuss that. Okay, so you're not this is not a problem solving meeting. If you run into a problem needs to be solved, you take that offline and do it somewhere else, right? Yes. Super. That's fantastic. That's the type of thing. If you're not doing that now in your business, what Deepa has given us is a really good, uh, a really good example of a good, quick, structured status meeting. It sounds like the agenda is always the same. It never changes. That means that people who are going to show up with information are supposed to report out for something in that meeting. They know what's expected at that point. There's no, no excuse for them to show up and not have the information. You know, whether it is doing all of that because she's running sales or whether she has different people in her meeting that are bringing different parts of different components of that information in, um, that structure is key. Um, so have you guys got anything like that that you're doing that's a, a daily or a weekly regular meeting cadence that you've got or management cadence, things that you check? Uh, yeah, we have a, a morning production meeting. We call it, you know, we don't call it a huddle, but it basically is just a huddle. We report out. Uh, the previous day's job completion percentages, um, issues, customer service issues. We do a, a forward look for the next day, five-day uh, five look for templating and for um, installation so we can forecast what's coming trend-wise. Um, we report out the square feet produced at each machine in the shop uh, from you know, saw jet to CNC to hand fab. Um, and then we tackle high-profile issues um, you know, high priority customers, high priority projects, and just make everybody in the loop. Um, we report our slab smith photoing numbers, things like that. And how long does this take? Uh, 15 minutes. Super. You're covering a lot in 15 minutes. That's awesome. Absolutely. We fire off one by one. Good, good. And are you guys providing, as managers, providing that information, or do you have other people who are, who are bringing in uh, parts of that information? Uh, everybody brings their own information. CAD brings Good. their numbers. Um, you know, the shop brings their numbers. Uh, template falls under CAD. Um, install department brings their numbers. Fantastic. So we have the team really engaged. That's excellent. That's a, that's a great engagement, I think, is a real key word there. A lot of folks ask, how do I get my folks to buy into what we're doing? You guys are providing a great example on how to do that. That's fantastic. Appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that.
So that management cadence is key. And you've been given some really good examples of that as well, which I appreciate you guys sharing. And that's where I think, you know, this, this peer-to-peer work, I think, is really important. I think when you hear other people who are doing the same thing that you are start talking about things that they're doing, I think if you're not doing those, I think it really challenges you to consider it because it's, uh, it's a little easier sometimes to hear it from them than it is from me. Another part of management is training. Um, everybody's struggling to find good people these days. Um, if you're struggling with that, I've got a, an article. Um, are you still having trouble finding good people these days? Gives you some ideas. But one of the things about training is that, you know, how do you utilize the employees that you've already got? And when you bring in a new hire, as tough as they are to, to find these days, like finding hen's teeth, um, all the stuff that I read about how to retain people once you've recruited them successfully, one of the major factors I think everybody agrees in is that once you get a new person on board, training them effectively, helping them be successful in the first couple of weeks on the job, not that they're experts, but they get comfortable with their position, is really key to retaining that person. That means OJT on the job training, following Bob around to kind of get a feel for things isn't good enough. It means you've got to have structured training, something that's intentional, that's structured, it's scheduled. You've got people who are sharing information who know how to do it effectively. How many of you uh, have got good training programs? How do you guys train your people? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, everybody from a fence polisher is kind of trained by their peers. Um, And then machine operators are trained by, again, by their peers as they come up. Um, When you get in, we get into management. I don't know. We have a particular uh, management uh, training layout, Uh, even with sales. It's kind of maybe the buddy system in the showroom. Um, it's, it's interesting. You say we, we just hired an operations manager who is not in, is not from the stone business. And Good. It's really been uh, an exercise for me to lay out his training and goals and outline with him and meet with him weekly, you know, with progress. Yeah, this is a great group. You guys are doing some really cool stuff that I a lot of times have to really struggle with my clients, get them to do it. It's great to hear that you've hired an ops manager from another industry. What what caused you to do that? Uh, finding somebody within the industry was was tough. Certainly. Um, and actually, this was a little different approach than we... So my shop manager, who was also slash CAD guy, been with me for 15, 19 years and grew with the company, he left for another business, another industry. And I kind of decided to have a more of a, an overall uh, operations manager and just a shop manager. So just a little different way of thinking. And basically the shop manager was a guy who did half his day in CAD and the other half of running the shop, which when we, when we got to this size really didn't work. What, what size do you guys build? What's your, what's your total annual sales, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, we're around $8 million. Yeah. Yeah. When you get about, you start hitting about that five, six, seven range, um, having an ops manager who's over not just production, but also the field as well, your template install folks, that's a pretty typical move to, to make at that point. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I've kept the around. install away from him right now just because I don't want to overwhelm him. And I have a very good, I actually brought one of my installers in the office to be the install manager. Yeah, I've seen some uh, $7, $8 million companies your size that'll have an ops manager who's over all that, but there will be like a, a production you know, supervisor, and then there'll also be maybe a field services manager who is the person who's actually out in the field going and hitting those sites when you've got a site-specific issue or just doing follow-up you know, after an install, that kind of stuff, and they report to the ops manager. So that's not unusual, too. Hey, Ed, yeah. this is Bill. Can I interject real quick? Yeah, please. I wanted to tell you guys what, what we managed to do. So usually I do production consulting and like I said, I travel around the country and, and do this on multiple locations. I decided to take the role here as operations manager. Um, they have a clear vision for their future. And uh, what we've decided to do is I'm actually working with HR right now and we're designating roles and responsibilities at each position and trying to make each skilled position, um, you know, only responsible for what's in their lane per se. Um, you know, instead of the multiple overlapping duties and responsibilities that people run into at every business, you know, when you have turnover, things like that, <clears throat> um, responsibilities shift. So we've had a focus for the past three months on uh, working with HR, creating roles and responsibilities, defining goals at each position and, uh, you know, training the staff, creating um, standard operating procedures, documenting the training, um, for more plug and play later on down the road as these people are moving up in their positions. Uh, and it's, it's really effective. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the, what size shop are you? What, how many, what's your annual sales look like? Uh, 12 million right now. Okay. Super. Yeah. The shop that I ran was about six or 7 million. And that's exactly one of the biggest things we had to do. Um, you know, in addition to, you know, the shop floor stuff was, um, you know, we, we had a classic scenario where the, you know, the owners gave out raises when the noise level got high enough, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know, approach. Uh, and so we went in and, and put together pay bands and job descriptions and, and put together a formal, um, you know, performance review system, that sort of thing. And that really helped a lot with the pressure on the owners. They felt like, you know, they had some structure they could work within and it helped the, the leads and the supervisors in terms of, how to deal with their people, they had some structural work with them too. That helped out a lot. Absolutely. Are you guys members of NSI? Uh, no, in years past, I have been at different companies, yes. Okay. NSI um, is not, not terribly expensive, I don't think. But one of the things that they've got is you guys are putting together job descriptions. They have got a library of job descriptions. They've collected from different companies over the years. There's probably, I was going to say there's 100 or 200 of them in there. And so no matter what you're working with, you can probably go in and find, you know, four or five examples of descriptions for similar type jobs that may help you as you work through that process. Yeah, we've always ran our safety training through NSI, um, slab handling, you know, fall shadow, job site, things like that. Okay, super, super. Okay, all great examples of good things to do in management. Um, appreciate you guys sharing that information. Um, the other thing that I think is real key to management is preventive maintenance. There's so much more automation in this business these, these days. And one of the things I've seen over the last 20 or so years is that folks really struggle with having a good PM preventive maintenance schedule. Uh, as you know, if you don't decide when you're going to stop your machine to work on it, it'll decide for you. And it's usually going to be right in the middle of a job that's critical, that's late, you've got a customer that's upset, and all of a sudden your CNC's down, your water jet's down, that sort of thing. 
Um, I'll give you a really good example of somebody who's done that real well. Um, the, the shop that we used to run, as a matter of fact, I went back and, and visited that shop last year. Uh, the owners just got to be really good friends, like, like a lot of my clients do. Um, and their water jet and their CNC machines and their inline polishers are all somewhere close to 20 years old. And they're all running extremely well. They're making good quality product because they've been maintained. And when things started to wear, they replaced them. And as it was appropriate, they upgraded controls and upgraded electronics and that sort of thing. Stop and think about over 20 years, how many times you've heard about folks replacing machines. Now, certainly there's upgrades to get new capability. That's a little different. But replacing machines because they're worn out. Think about how much money they have not had to spend in the last 20 years because they did a really good job of maintaining their equipment. So that's another big key part of, of management. When the machine decides it's gonna go down rather than you decide when it's gonna go down, that's just adding to your chaos. So when you look at goals and taking care of the basics here, goals give you a compelling why and the management structure, the management discipline gives you a really strong how. And those two are really key for Helping, helping to get a handle on the chaos that's going out there. You can't control what's happening with, uh, with COVID. You can't control supply chain, but you can control all the stuff that we've talked about in your shop. And the key is that you do control those. And I appreciate you guys sharing. You've given some really good examples of what's going on there um, to, uh, to, to get control of those things so you can control the chaos that you do have, um, have leverage with. The third thing is then to start shifting into this higher gear. We, this is where we start talking about, are you capacity limited? In other words, do you have more jobs than you can produce? Or are you sales limited, sales and market limited, which means that you've got significant production capacity that's not filled up. Uh, and that's key. Um, if you're capacity limited, then you need to free up capacity that you're already paying for. I was talking about hiring an ops manager that was from outside the industry. Uh, I helped a client of mine in Texas hire a production manager who was from outside the industry last year. Uh, the guy came on board uh, toward the end of last year. Yeah, it was right at right about uh, Christmas and New Year's, I think. Um, and this guy came out of an environment where he had run, you know, he had managed CNC departments, you know, computer computer controlled machining systems of all types in, in multiple industries. And this was a two and a half, $3 million shop. So it's not a big company, not as, not as big as, as some of the other ones that are, that are here on the call today. And he hired this guy. He had a guy running his shop already who was a great technical person, knew everything about machinery, knew everything about the industry. Um, but the guy couldn't manage well, the one he already had. And that guy decided he was going to move on. Um, so we hired this new guy who had no experience at all in stone. And within 30 days, the shop was cleaned up, things were organized, and they were getting 20 to 30% more production out of their shop without having to hire anybody and without buying any machinery or anything else, just through good management. So that's one way, and that's think about that. That's 20 to 30% capacity that that owner was paying for, he wasn't getting utilization of. And the previous production manager, by the way, just couldn't conceive of you know, a job that's scheduled to be installed on Monday, he couldn't conceive of starting to work on that job until about lunchtime on Thursday or sometime maybe first thing Friday morning. So he was always rushing, always late, always had problems. All of a sudden, this new guy's got stuff being done a day ahead of time. 
So just good management is a key there. The other thing is there are some specific tools that you can use because in all industries, not just this one, it's really common to walk into a place that hasn't had a lot of improvement work done on it and find a good 30% capacity that's not being utilized well. There's some, I've got put together a free online toolkit. If you're interested, email me and I'll give you access to that. Uh, it's not going to put you in an email funnel with a bunch of emails. It's just a good set of tools, but it has to do with what you measure, how you control your releases, how you schedule work through the shop that will help you free up capacity you're already paying for. So you're either in this capacity limited situation or you're in the sales limited situation. And with the sales limitation, you need to have a good market strategy. And by that, I don't mean that you've got a strategy for having the lowest price, because that's not a market strategy. That's not a good sales strategy. That's a strategy that's going to cost you. There's always somebody out there who can beat you on sales price. The key in your marketing strategy is not just your identity and your look and your feel, but the message. Helping folks understand why they should buy from you instead of buying from the other person. Helping people understand how you solve problems for them, the value that you add to them so that your folks can help sell on that value. Does anybody here have some good elements of a marketing strategy they're willing to share? You know what? I don't handle a lot of the marketing. I wish that I had a handle and could do more. Um, but I mean, I got I got hired as a commission sales rep. Okay. So majority of me is, is commission and I'm uh, doing, I, they stop working in your business and start working on it. You know, that that's resonated with me heavily because I, it's been four years here of running the company. It was funny because I worked for a distributor for 10 years before I made this switch and I actually was the rep. Um, so, I mean, I, I dealt a lot with Jeff, but, um, you know, seeing both sides too, for me being on the fabrication side and, and coming from a distribution side, my knowledge in this industry is deeper than a lot of the people that I work with. So it falls on me to fix everything. And I'm, again, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting very tired of doing other people's jobs. So the marketing is not my strong suit. You know, the, the Facebook and the websites and everything. I don't, I'm kind of, my 95 year old grandma knows how to, you know, write an email better than I do sometimes. But um, so, yeah, as far as marketing, I have ideas and, and <laughs> we have meetings about meetings here. That's the biggest frustration. And, you know, we all have magnets that say, I just attended another meeting that could have been handled by an email. Kind of like a big joke there too, as well, you know? And so <laughs> I don't really have a marketing answer to your question. So. Okay. Well, understood. I was thinking from what you told me that maybe you've been involved in that, but I understand what you're saying. If you're on the sales side, of course, what you're dealing with is, um, you know, you guys, uh, talking with you, it's tough to get a sense of whether you have a good marketing strategy, but if you don't, then that puts a lot more responsibility on you as a salesperson having to, to, to figure this stuff out and present it, or rather than the company having a good identity and a good unified message that, that shows up across social media, website, email campaigns, and all the rest of that. So that's key. Are you guys doing anything with, um, with a market strategy at... Um, uh, this mainly handling by the sales group. Uh, I'm not totally involved on marketing at this point or and sales either. Okay. All right. So you're primarily looking at ops operations. Yes, totally. She has operations right now. Focus trying to 
you know, learn more about the business and uh, put the company into the right direction. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, the, the key here is you look at this, this third point and shifting into high gear, looking at whether you're capacity limited or sales limited is that, you know, most of the folks I've talked to the last couple of years have been capacity limited. I run across very few who have got significant amounts of capacity that are not full. Um, I've got one client who has just doubled his capacity uh, and wants to fill it up, but that's that's kind of unusual right now. Everybody's just pretty well slammed because of the the impacts of COVID and how the you know how the demand has changed because of what folks are are, are doing with their homes these days. But the key is is that we go through seasonal cycles, uh, maybe not quite as much recently as as before. Uh, but we'll get back to that at some point. I certainly hope uh, we go through economic cycles. You know, I've already mentioned that that the folks that I track that do forecast are really looking for a, a recession of some degree. You know, sometime next year. So we're going to have that happen sometime, whether it's next year or the year after. It will happen. And so the key is to have a really good understanding of your capacity to produce work, and then have a sound marketing strategy and trained salespeople that know how to leverage that marketing strategy so that as your business goes through these up and down cycles, you can optimize your capacity. You can throttle demand so that you can get more dollar value for your capacity. You know, if you've got more demand than you have capacity for, that tells you you've got some price flexibility in the market. You probably can go up some. And certainly there's been a lot of need to do that with supply chain issues these days and, and, and inflation. But then also is that, uh, as that uh, market demand starts to soften, we start heading toward a recession or growth starts to slow down, that sort of thing. Then in order to keep your capital investment in your business and in your shop there, which is where all, a lot of your capital sits, you need to have a strong marketing strategy that allows you to, to respond to that and start to keep that capacity, that production capacity full. And it's that throttling back and forth of sales, sales demand and, and production capacity that's the key. One of the big keys to controlling your business, running your business, and helping keep the chaos down. Those are big, those are big keys. And you can't really do that well unless you've got the goals and the management tools in place, and you won't have those in place unless you've made the decision that you're going to take those actions. So that's why in the article, I know this is a really high level view in lots of respects, and I appreciate the detail that many of you have provided to share your specific examples, because I think that's helpful. But I think in this, this structure of these three basic categories are the keys to start to get control of the chaos, run your business, and start to throttle the demand against your capacity so that you, you're optimizing your capacity to generate the greatest amount of cash for the business. And you're looking ahead with your leading indicators. Last month, we talked about leading and lagging indicators. Uh, and we're starting to look ahead so that we can be proactive about it rather than always reactive. So that's kind of the, the key of this article. Um, any, any questions about that? Any other comments you think anybody wants to share? Okay. Well, I've got, we've got a few minutes left. I've got some, some questions that have popped up in the past about these topics. Uh, I'll just hit those really quickly. Um, the first one is that I you know, like to talk about, okay, just make a decision. You know, the Nike you know, slogan, just do it. It sounds easy, but how do I really do that? Well, you know, I think it goes back. To, there's got to be something that you want that is different or better than what you have now. And it looks like 
quick. Is there a comment or a question that you had? Yeah. So, you know, the, for the longest time, usually our capacity exceeded our sales, but usually this time of the year, it gets busy because everyone's getting their tax refunds and things like that. They, they're looking to buy countertops. So we have a production bottleneck, which means how do people really schedule out their shop? I mean, you have a saw schedule, CNC schedule, QC complete schedule, or is it just one master schedule? What's the right way to schedule? And um, how do you, what software system are you using? Um, I've got some, some information I can provide on that, but before I open my big fat mouth, anybody else here have something they want to share in terms of how they handle that? Did you have something you want to share? Yeah, so we basically control our schedule um, by our template schedule. So we schedule our templates. We know what our capacity is in the shop, what we think it is, <laughs> what we can run and produce without a lot of problems. And we won't schedule any more templates than that. And that basically runs through the shop and everything's backed in from the install schedule according. And we find that our bottlenecks are our CAD pro and machine program. That's where we get bottled. Our saw jets, sassos are able to produce probably more than they can, than they are, but we just can't program more. So that's kind of our constraint and everything's based off of that. If my production schedule is behind me. We use more where every process and machine is scheduled out. We're scheduled into June. All right. So uh, did you guys have something you want to add? Uh, yeah, we do it a little bit differently. So since we've been here, we've been able to analyze the actual max capacity of the shop. And uh, we're seeing level numbers all the way across the board right now for the first time um, really in my career. You know, a thousand cut on the saw jet, a thousand sitting for CNC processing, you know, a thousand ran on the CNCs yesterday, a thousand, eleven hundred ran through hand fab yesterday. Um, we managed to just level off that production. <clears throat> we're still with about a two week lead time on install right now where our competitors in this market are, you know, four to six to some of them are eight weeks out. We actually just started taking overflow work from other shops um, because we have a level sense of calm and we're managing it with zero overtime as well. Okay. All right. So you guys are in a position, you've been able to go out and actually do some measuring to, to understand capacity, which is great. And when you're a larger shop, having that kind of capability is, is more likely. If you're a smaller shop, you're three, four million, maybe five, six, seven million, but a single location, it's kind of tough to have somebody available, you know, whether as a consultant or on staff who can do that kind of work. Um, but both of you, I think, are talking about, uh, and Bill talks about, um, you know, scheduling based on template. Um, the If you're trying to measure capacity at each process step and then schedule each process step, that's going to imply a lot of management, a lot of hand-holding, a lot of detail, a lot of overhead. And the average fab shop, quite frankly, just can't handle all that. Um, and having done this type of work in larger companies, I mean, I've done, you know, Wheeling Pittsburgh Steel, Motorola, Goodyear, Epson in Japan, uh, did some work with Ryobi last year. So I've done some of the large corporate stuff as well. Um, even when those guys try to do it that way, they they if they build a lot of overhead, spend a lot of time and money to, to get a good guess because the way systems are typically set up, they're based on average times. And that means your head's in the oven, your feet's in the freezer on the average are fine. And that production ends up being about the same way. What I found over the years is that when you're scheduling each individual process step and you're using the software package to do it, pretty much everybody takes that schedule and throttles it back about 
somewhere around 15% ballpark because of the fact that you're using averages and everyone's not specific. And in this industry, while your process steps are consistent, your process times vary because each job's a little bit different. And so it's it's tough to manage on a process step by process step basis. So the short answer is, if you'll email me that toolkit I'm talking about, that's just a quick online toolkit with some key components will help you through that. It boils down to deciding where your single constraint is. And I think most probably the closest to that with template. I like to go on the other end of the process and look at install because that's closer to where the cash register rings. That's where you generate your money. And it also drives the right focus in the business. Uh, but schedule your constraint. And there's some specific tools to help you manage the flow of work to that constraint. And there's some specific ways of, of handling that that don't require you to know what the capacity of each process step is. And that's probably the shortest answer I can give you as we start to hit our, our, uh, our top of the hour time for our session. If you've got any questions about the things we've talked about today, want to want to talk about how they apply to your operation, I'm happy to do that anytime. Um, if you'd like to get some help in tackling some of these issues, one of the things that I offer is give me a call and we'll set up uh, about an hour or so for a free customized assessment. This, this helps us walk through your business, look at what your critical issues are. Uh, I will make specific recommendations on things for you that you can do yourself to help address these issues. And of course, if you need help, obviously I'm, I'm happy to help you. But folks, I thank you for, for sharing your information. It's been a big help. I always like to have that in these sessions. Thank you for taking time out of your day. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, Mr. Young, Mr. Young, can I ask yes. one question to the previous gentleman? Sure. So did, did I did I hear him say that um, that he was able to produce without any overtime? It's Joe. Okay. Yeah, this is something that I manage to implement in every company that I go to is uh, we just have a mandate uh, for zero overtime. We schedule the shop accordingly. We have the right people in the right places. Um, we offer production support. We deal with the shifting capacity. We watch the ball bounce. We deal with our constraints. Um, yeah, but it's something that, um, you know, is a serious goal of mine. At this company last year, uh, they spent 445,000 in overtime. And uh, as of April 1st, there will be absolutely zero overtime. It's very minimal now, but um, you know, I just got here at January 3rd. Um, but uh, like I say, I've done this, you know, 20 times with 20 other companies. And uh, the, the goal is to stop devaluing the product and paying times and a half to have the same amount of product done. Yeah, Thank you. definitely on the right track. That's that's a really good example of you deciding that you're going to control the business. You're not going to let it control you and drive you crazy with a bunch of overtime. Folks, uh, again, um, available for any kind of calls or, or comments. Uh, but thank you. I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you. you. See you guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ed. Thanks.